Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Isometry by Syntax 6 on Omniscribe. Rating Explicit. Chapter 13. Hospital air had a thick, dense quality, an appealing, crusty scent that drove her, for the first time in her adult life, to sneak out after dark in her pajamas. She slipped out a side door into an enclosed courtyard that shielded her escape with shadowed pockets and drooping leafy branches. Scully knew she couldn't go far, not in her bathrobe, and not with the plastic hospital ID bracelet loose around her arm like a prison shackle. But she needed the brisk, sharp spring night with its wet leaf and new earth smell. Behind the brambly rose bush, she found a cold stone bench and sat down. She fished two items of contraband from her fuzzy pocket of her robe, a lighter and one cigarette. Borrowed from a young man with no hair and the room down the hall from her, the tip flared to life and she sat back to smoke under the bone-colored moon. She took quick, snappy puffs, the way she had years ago when she had been afraid of being caught. She'd known smoking was bad even then, but it had hardly mattered to a 14-year-old who was going to live forever. Dr. Alton was going to drop by in the morning to discuss her options. She had a few last straws to grasp at, if she was willing to sign up for clinical trials, but even the best of them promised no more than a short extension of her life. You need to think about how you want to spend the rest of your life, Dr. Alton had said gently. You need to think about what's important to you. So, that was what Scully was doing at 11 p.m. in the dark, damp courtyard, thinking. Lost in thought, she didn't hear Mulder approach until he came thrashing around the rosebush. She jerked in surprise. What the hell are you doing, he demanded, grabbing the arm that held her cigarette. She twisted, but he held fast. Hello to you, too. I've been looking all over for you. Well, you found me. She gave a few more fruitless tugs at his tight grasp. I didn't think you were coming back tonight. Those words seemed to do the trick because he abruptly dropped her arm. I got tingled up in something with Skinner. It took longer than I thought. She eyed him as he sank down onto the opposite side of the bench. What happened? Is everything okay? He gave a soundless snort. Yeah, just peachy. Mulder, did you get the results of the test back yet? Uh, yeah. She took another long drag on the cigarette and turned her head to blow out the smoke. And? She turned back to give him a thin smile. Just peachy. As always, her heart broadcast the lie to the rest of her body with a racing pulse. She would tell him. She would. Just not tonight. So, this little habit, he said, jerking a nod at her cigarette. Is it new? More like really old. He shook his head as if amused and took a deep breath, leaning forward on his knees. Tales of misspent youth, I take it. I suppose we can all use a little rebellion from time to time. He held out one hand for the cigarette, and she passed it to him without a word. The tip glowed as he sucked in a deep drag. You're no amateur yourself, she observed, when he handed it back. His short laugh had no humor to it. I've had more practice than I'd like to admit. She drew up one leg and rested her arm on her knee. The smoke wafted between them. So, what are we rebelling against this evening, Agent Mulder? He considered her question. 
Door number three. When it's not the goat, and it's not the prize, but you're stuck with it anyway. She raised an eyebrow. Excuse me? Forget it. He took the cigarette from her again, their fingers brushing in the exchange. Skinner sends his love, he said after another puff. She laughed. He said that? Not in so many words. I didn't think so. He turned his head to look at her. But he does, you know. Does what? Love you. She drew her other knee up to ward off the chill. No, he doesn't. Dread longed in her chest. Let it not be true. She had already amassed a long list of disappointed people. The weight of one more was more than she could stand. It's true, Mulder said. I don't think I knew it before tonight, but he does. Did he say something to you? When Mulder didn't immediately reply, she sat up straighter and leaned across to him. Mulder, did you say something to him? Mulder bowed his head. No, nothing like that. Then I don't understand. She watched as he crushed out the cigarette butt on the ground. Door number three, he said. Skinner was afraid to walk through it. He stood up and brushed his rear with his hands. Come on, it's cold out here. She let him help her to her feet. I'm not following you, Mulder. What are you talking about? What's behind door number three? Maybe nothing. He squeezed her hand. Maybe everything. He wedged himself partway into the narrow hospital bed with her to watch David Letterman's monologue, but she fell asleep against his shoulder before the first commercial. He pulled the blankets up around her and rested his cheek on her warm, soft hair. Muting the TV, he closed his eyes and listened to the faint sound of her breathing. The click of the door opening made him blink, and he turned his head to see the intruder. Hi. Dr. Alton tiptoed into the room with a large brown envelope. Shadows from the TV flickered across her face. I'm sorry to disturb you, but I want to leave these for Dana. It's okay. Scully stirred and he pressed a kiss to her temple without even thinking. She sighed and relaxed again. Dr. Alton smiled as she set down the envelope. You agree with her, you know. Mulder smiled and shook his head. Oh, if you only knew how little that was true. It is true. She's cut back on her pain meds by one-third this month, and she even gained a few pounds. You're good for her. Mulder's breath caught in his chest. Does that mean she's getting better? Oh. Dr. Alton frowned, then seemed to will a sad smile. I, no, not exactly. It means she's feeling a little better, though, and that's so important. I see. Still, he nurtured a secret rush. The test results must have been encouraging if Scully were feeling so much better. Maybe she hadn't mentioned it because she didn't want to give him too much hope too soon. He encircled her more closely under the covers. I'll be back in the morning, Dr. Alton said. We can talk more then if you like. Thanks, Mulder replied. Good night. She closed the door behind her, and Mulder felt around for the TV remote. He upped the volume a bit on the TV where the audience was laughing at Dave's riff on the New York City hot dog. For the first time in months, Mulder chuckled along. Some lies came more easily than others. As Mulder slumped in his omnipresent plastic chair, Scully rolled over to her side to face him. I'm hungry, she said. He brightened like a bulb and set aside the shaves of paper. Yeah? He placed a hand on his tummy as if it was thoughtful. I could go for something, too. Want me to hit the cafeteria? 
Scully shook her head. Bagels from Vinny's. Coffee, too. Across town? I guess I can go. He checked his watch. Scully knew without looking it was a quarter till doomsday. Cranberry, right? He asked as he stood, and Scully nodded. Cream cheese, too? Lots, she said, because she knew it would make him smile. Okay, I'll be back in an hour. I'll be here. Which is how Scully came to be in the room and Mulder came to be out of it when Dr. Alton showed up 15 minutes later. Good morning, she said, as she took Mulder's seat and scooted it even closer to the bed. Scully propped herself up against the pillows and smoothed out all the wrinkles from the sheets. How are you feeling this morning? Okay, less tired. Good. Dr. Alton did a quick check of the tiny room, which must have been for pure show. Is Mulder around? He went to pick up some food. Downstairs? Then we can wait. No, from across town. At Dr. Alton's look, Scully raised her chin. I wanted bagels. Dr. Alton sighed. Dana, you can't keep sending him out of the room forever, you know. Mulder, your family, they deserve to know what's going on with you. They care about you and they want to help. Scully looked her straight in the eyes. How? How? How can they help? Three different teams of doctors haven't been able to do anything. All Mulder and my family have the power to do is worry, and I don't see why I should prolong that worry by forcing the issue right now. I feel fine. And I'm glad for that. Dr. Alton leaned closer. I hope more than anything that you continue to feel fine for a long time to come. But I am your doctor, and I have to look at your test results and advise you based on what they say. I have to advise what I think is best. I appreciate that. Scully looked down, picked at the hem of the sheet, and tried to keep her voice from shaking. But I am the one living this, and I have to live it as I think is best. Dr. Alton dropped her chin in acknowledgement, if not agreement. Understood, but at least take my advice under consideration. I've been doing this for 15 years, and I've seen people choose to go it alone and others who had to go it alone. Let me tell you right now, that road is much harder. Scully tried to muster a smile. I can yell if I need help. Dr. Alton captured her hand for a hard squeeze. Yell soon, okay? While you still have some voice left. The problem was that each day it became harder to say the words. She had nodded such a twist thicket of half-truths and semi-honest invasions that she could barely see Mulder on the other side of the bramble. Her body aided her deception by making such great short-term improvements once treatments were suspended that she hardly felt sick anymore. A little tired, perhaps, and she had passing headaches that vanished with her extra-strength painkillers. I'm all right, she told Mulder when he asked. His belief bolstered her own. Maybe together they can make it so. Then Miranda showed up and started chopping through the branches. Hi, she said, bringing cheer into their office on an otherwise gray Thursday afternoon. Scully looked up from her computer and took off her glasses. It was only when she took a good look at the healthy woman that she realized how different she must appear. Miranda's cheeks glowed pink from the outside wind. Her long purple skirt hugged her curved hips and fell with a dramatic swoop down her long legs as she settled into an empty wooden chair. Hi, Scully answered, pulling at the tail of her own suit jacket, which hung more loosely than it ought. Mulder just took a bunch of files to accounting. Miranda waved off the excuse. 
No rush. I have all afternoon. God, this is a great office. I love the photos. She twisted in her chair to get a better view of Mulder's memorabilia. They're quite something. Scully glanced at the clock. Where the hell was Mulder anyway? How's your class going? She asked Miranda. Miranda turned her attention back to Scully. Oh, great. We're going African tribal myths this week. She leaned back in her chair and seemed to quiet a bit. How are you doing? Scully flushed. Just the question made her feel somehow less than whole. I'm fine. Yeah, Miranda said softly, almost to herself. She looked down at her hands and back up again. Fox tells me you've stopped treatment. Scully felt her spine go rigid. Miranda's tone was gentle, without accusation, but it lacked Mulder's defiant zeal on the topic. He thought Scully was getting better, but somehow Miranda knew the truth of the situation. I know you're lying to him. Miranda had the grace not to say it out loud, but the implication was clear. Scully's heart rate doubled, and she gripped the edge of the desk. If Miranda knew, there was nothing to stop her from telling Mulder. I haven't stopped treatments entirely, she said carefully. I'm weighing several courses of action right now. I hope something works out for you. I watched my mother go through it a few years ago, and I wouldn't wish that struggle on anyone. Miranda leaned forward, radiating sympathy, which only made it worse. Scully's stomach rolled, and a cold sweat broke out on the back of her neck. The air had no air in it. With a jerk, she got from the desk. Please excuse me. She bumped into Miranda on the way out. Hey, he said, greeting Miranda over Scully's head. You made it. Traffic isn't bad at this time. Scully tried to push around Mulder and out the door, but he stopped her with a hand on her arm. We're going down the street for lunch, he said. You should join us. No, thanks. She could hardly hear him over the rush of blood in her ears. Maybe it was better to take the coward's way out. Let Miranda spell it out for him what it really meant when the terminally ill patient stopped treatment. You two go and catch up. She swallowed the lump at the back of her throat. I have things I need to finish around here. Besides, I have a sandwich. You sure? Scully didn't meet his eyes. I'm sure. She escaped to the bathroom before he could say anything further, where she splashed her face with cold water and tried to calm her racing pulse. Slow, deep breaths eased her nausea. With trembling fingers, she dried her cheeks and smoothed her hair. She went back to the office to await Mulder's return. An hour passed before she heard his footsteps in the hall. Miranda didn't seem to be with him. Scully steeled herself for confrontation, but Mulder was whistling when he came through the door. You missed some great Chinese food, he said. I snagged you a fortune cookie. Still tense, Scully tracked his movements around the room. And how is Miranda? He tossed the cookie her way and Scully caught it. She's good, Mulder replied. She had run to the library, but she said to tell you goodbye. Scully flinched. Goodbye, she repeated. That's nice. She tore the cellophane wrapper from around the cookie, focusing her attention on it rather than Mulder. Did she say anything else? She talked mostly about class stuff, Mulder said, removing his suit coat and plopping into his chair. Why? Were you two talking about something in particular? Scully opened her fortune. Sometimes silence is the best answer. Scully, Mulder prompted from across the room. She looked up. Nothing, she said. Never mind. When he showed up at her door with bagels and coffee, before she was finished dressing, 
Wear something that goes with bowling shoes, Mulder told her, as he sipped from his paper cup. She stuck her head out from the bedroom, clad in black pants and a short gray silk blouse. We're going bowling? Angie's midnight bowling. It's 7 a.m. Mulder, not midnight. Well, we're not going for the pins. She slipped on the matching suit jacket and raised a questioning brow. A woman was found murdered near the alley last night. Throat cut. Scully disappeared into the bathroom. And our interest in the case is, she called back. Mulder walked around her living room. I got a call this morning asking us to look into it. From the police? From Angie. He owns the bowling alley. Scully's blow dryer roared to life, and Mulder sat on the edge of her sofa, still taking gingerly sips of his hot coffee. The book she'd been reading sat face down on the cushions, so he slipped her bookmark in it and set it on the coffee table. Further away on the table was a pamphlet with a heading in gray script at the top center. Mulder tilted his head to read upside down. Rosewood Center. Why does the owner of the bowling alley want us to investigate this case? Scully came around the corner, causing him to jump back a bit. She took one look at him and removed the papers from view. I think it would sound better coming from him. Fine, let's go. He stood and handed her the other coffee cup from the table. What's the Rosewood Center? Another treatment facility? Something like that, yes. She waited for him to leave and locked her door behind them. So, when was the body found? Scully learned long ago not to turn her back on Mulder's hunches, no matter how ridiculous they seem. So she followed him to the psychiatric clinic from which the mysterious caller had phoned about the murder. Mulder fingered an autistic man named Harold Spuler as their best lead, and she had to agree, but for different reasons. He's been diagnosed having severe egodystonia, which would explain the switching of the victim's rings, she said, as they poured over Harold's records. So, why all of a sudden, Mulder asked. You mean, why did he snap? I think his earlier outburst when you talked to him showed he has frustration impulse towards violence when placed in challenging situations. But that outburst didn't come until I asked if he had seen a ghost. Scully repressed a sigh and took out Spieler's most recent file. Harold Spieler is at this facility voluntarily, which means he can come and go as he pleases, to kill those women, to hold down a job, or both. As she leaned down, she felt a trickle in her nose, and a few drops of blood fell onto the white page before her. Oh, Scully. Mulder sounded concerned and dismayed. It's okay. She pushed back her chair. You sure? I'm fine. I just need a washroom. As she entered the large empty room and head for the sink, where she wet a paper towel to remove the worst of the blood, at least she managed to miss her clothing this time. She dabbed at her nose and looked up to check her progress in the mirror. On the glass, in dripping red letters, it said, She is me. Scully gasped and pulled back. Around the corner near the stall, she heard a faint moan. Her mouth dropped in horror, pulled as if by a wire. She walked around to see what was on the other side of the wall. A young woman, transparent and bloody. Her throat was slit. Oh my God. Scully. Mulder banged on the door, startling her. Are you in there? He pushed inside, and when she glanced back at the stalls, the woman was gone. Mulder's face was grim. They found another victim. College student with her throat cut just about half a block from here. Some part of her knew before they arrived at the scene, but the rest 
had to see it with her own eyes. There she lay, the woman from the washroom, her eyes blank and her throat slit. Scully looked away. She is me. As luck would have it, Mulder solved the riddle with a heart attack instead of a murder. Angie Pintero turned up dead of heart disease, and apparently Harold Spuler had seen it happen before it occurred. Mulder hid on the answer at the hospital, as the doors verified Pintero's probable cause of death for him. Natural causes with a supernatural aura, Mulder thought as he headed back towards the lobby. A rack of pamphlets caught his eye on the way out. The gray script writing atop one read, Rosewood Center. As he paused to pull it out, he scanned the pictures of the brick buildings and tree-lined property. One-handed, he flipped the slim pages open and read the heading inside, providing quality hospice care for 60 years. Mulder's breath stopped. He shook his head. Crumbling the booklet in his hands, he shoved it into the nearest trash can and strode out of the building. He gave her another opening at her apartment, trying the ultra-casual approach this time. I need your medical expertise, he began. Then, oh, I almost forgot. What did your doctor say? Scully looked up at for a moment. I'm fine, she said, closing her front door behind him. What do you need? At point blank, she wouldn't lie, he figured. Scully was a horrible liar. Relief trickled through him as he sat on her couch to flesh out his theory. Harold Spuler must be dying. He saw Angie Patero's disembodied soul right before or right at the moment of Angie's death from congestive heart failure. Scully seemed intrigued. How do you know? Because I was standing right there when he saw it. But you didn't see it yourself. He shook his head, waiting for her stream of arguments about how such visions were impossible. Why, she asked. He stepped forward, enthused. Because I don't have the facility. He explained how Harold's autism may have given him a psychic connection to the murdered women, whom he knew from the bowling alley. Even this link didn't seem to face Scully. He was not the only one to have visions of the victims. No, but he had something else in common with them. They were all dying. One of emphysema, one of cancer, and now Angie Pintero of heart failure. Harold Spuler is dying too? That's why I need your medical opinion on. He stood so they could get going. At last, Scully seemed ready to put up her usual fight. Well, what if he's not? I'd be very surprised. What is a death omen, if not a vision of our own mortality? And who among us would be most likely to be able to see the dead? In the end, Scully didn't need to offer her expertise, because a layperson could have pronounced Spuler dead. Lung failure, but the proximal cause could have been accidental. Scully seized on this as evidence that Mulder's theory was wrong. Harold Spiral wasn't dying, Mulder. He was killed as a result of what that woman took away from him when she withheld his medication. Mulder held her eyes with a challenging black gaze. Is that your medical opinion? He was determined that she sign her own death warrant. Fine. She drew a shuddering breath. I saw something, Mulder, the fourth victim, in the bathroom, before you came to tell me. He seemed less surprised than she'd expected, more angry. Why didn't you tell me? Because I didn't want to believe it. I don't want to believe it. Why can't you be honest with me? She was angry now, too. Is that what you want me to say? That you're right? That I believe it, even if I don't? Is that what you want? Is that what you think I want to hear? She drew back. No. You can believe what you want to believe, Scully. 
but you can't hide the truth from me. If you do, then you're working against me, against yourself. He paused, the fight going out of him all at once. When he spoke again, his tone was softer. I know what you're afraid of. I'm afraid of the same thing. Scully's chin trembled. The doctor said I was fine. I hope that's the truth. She fled then. I'm going home. She swept past him, and he made no effort to follow her. Shaking with anger and hurt, she walked across the dark parking lot to her car. Apparently, she'd underestimated the strength of his belief this time. Her car, seeped in shadows, seemed hollow and lonely. Ambulance sirens echoed around her as they roared out to fetch some other hapless victim. How many more times would she be able to walk out of the hospital under her own power? I've seen people choose to go it alone, Dr. Alton had said. Let me tell you right now, that road is much, much harder. Hot tears welled in Scully's eyes and her lashes blinked to set them free. She gripped the steering wheel to control her trembling. To tell Mulder everything was to admit defeat, to go home and die. How could she tell him she was giving up? Something moved in her rearview mirror. Harold Spieler sat in her back seat, faint and glowing. Scully gasped and turned around. He was gone. Scully felt ghost-like herself as she climbed the dark steps to her apartment, transparent, disconnected, and empty, half gone and fading fast. She slipped the key in the lock and pushed her door open, dropping her things right in the entryway. The lights came on with a flick of her hand over the switch. Scully jumped. Mulder sat in her armchair, posed like the great statue of Lincoln, and he held equally as still. Mulder, you scared me. He said nothing. What are you doing here? She asked, taking a few steps closer to him. He cocked his head slightly to the side and looked almost through her. You're not getting better, are you? Her shoulders drooped. No, she whispered. He gave a short nod as if he thought as much. No more treatments. There are a few clinical trials I might be able to enroll in. She came around the couch. Dr. Alton is looking into the matter for me. I see. Mulder, what on earth happened to you? For the first time, she noticed the blood-soaked towel wrapped around his hand. She held it up to inspect it. I'm going to need a new windshield. Oh, Mulder. She crouched by the chair and took his injured hand in hers. Up close, she could see there was glass still in his wool coat. She peeled back the towel and winced at the bloody cuts across his knuckles. Come into the bathroom, and I'll see what I can do. They stood close together at her sink as she rinsed him clean. I've been wrong sometimes, he said, above her head, with my theories. Scully froze in midwash. Yeah? She forced a melancholy smile. Name one time. The sound of running water filled the long stretch before his answer. I can't remember right now, he admitted. Scully patted him dry with a clean towel. But I'll make a list and get back to you. You do that. She avoided his eyes as she cleaned his cuts and got out the bandages. This wasn't very bright of you, Mulder. You could have been more seriously hurt. Yeah, he paused. I thought it would make me feel better. Did it? She asked lightly. No. He flexed his fingers under her handiwork. See there? That was one place where I was really wrong. Well, I hope you learned your lesson. At long last, she met his gaze 
and her heart stopped at the anguish she read in his eyes. Scully. She could see him swallow hard. I hope you know I don't want to be right about this. I know. He engulfed her against him, her cheek brushing the warm fuzz of his white shirt. She closed her eyes at the feel of his arms around her, warm and solid and alive. If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there.